Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. And with me today, Jamie Wilkerson. How are you today, Jamie? I'm doing great. I'm so glad to see you always. So We're good to be here. We're in that week leading up to Easter. Yes. Have you got some Easter buzz at your house? Oh, yes. I mean, always. You, you have a son. How old is he? He just turned 12. 12? That's not possible. He is 12 years old. Oh, my goodness. Well, that guy <laughs> is uh, one of the brightest bulbs in the box. I have no doubt about that. As you do Easter at your house, are there things you do as a family that are especially meaningful? You know, we. this is a time, this is my favorite season. Um, and so, first of all, I was born in the spring. So it's like a lead up to, to that time. Yes. And one of the things that we like to do is bake. We like to bake cookies and decorate them. And sometimes we'll even, you know, grab some eggs and dye them and decorate them as well. So, so there's something going on in the house. And it's always something Your good. son and husband know it's Easter time because oh, yes. you're making sure that happens. Exactly. I know you are. And at my house, I'm a fan also of spring. And I have this thing with flowers. I don't know what it is, but when I was growing up, I just grew up in a house where there were always like fresh flowers. Mm -hmm. And in the spring, tulips and daffodils and things. I love tulips. I'm just kind of a sucker for going to the supermarket, buying that thing of milk and bringing home some tulips for my wife. But it just seems like uh, springtime. But it also speaks to me about Easter, which is always about new life. And in the Northern Hemisphere, the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus him being raised from the dead always coincided with springtime. And so as new life comes up from the ground, as flowers bloom, eggs represent a fertile season for yes. chickens and <laughs> rabbits are about fertility in the spring and so on. All of that kind of wove together in the ancient celebrations of Easter, which we still observe to this day. But you know, for all of its brightness, Easter also has kind of a dark side yeah. because the story of the days before Easter are filled with drama and loss. And today, as we're marching towards Easter, we want to talk a little bit about, well, what should we call it? The dark side. Jamie, we believe that Easter is an historic event and uh, is the celebration of things that actually happened. And they happened in a place that we know, the city of Jerusalem, We know approximately the time. We believe it was in the spring of the year because the record of these events is tied to the Jewish Passover, which is a movable feast in the sense that the date of the Passover changes based on the lunar calendar, but always in the springtime. So we know it was spring of the year. Mm -hmm. And we don't know exactly the year because our calendars are dated from kind of a mix up at the beginning. The date of Jesus' birth, which is the beginning of our modern calendar, sometimes called the Common Era, also Anno Domini, A.D., the year of our Lord, but our calendars are dated from what was presumed to be the year of Jesus' birth, but but actually there was a mess up there. So we don't know exactly what year Jesus was nailed to a cross, but probably about 30 A.D. or 33 A.D., 27 A.D., in that framework, in the spring, in Jerusalem, these things came down. Mm -hmm. And it was a time of great uncertainty. There was a lot of sense in the public, especially in that part of the world, that something was going to happen. There was an expectation. Sometimes it was fearful. There were a lot of question marks and concerns, and people thought that maybe the Roman system of government in ancient Palestine was coming to a close, that a Messiah might be there. There were ancient prophecies that spoke about a Messiah coming about this season of history, and 
and people had question marks. And then there was this Jesus guy who created such a stir and drew such crowds. And he was quite prominent and famous. And and the government was uncertain about that. And so there was this public mood. There was uh, fear in the government. The establishment was being shaken. There were just so many things swirling around. And it reminds me, Jamie, about the world we live in today. I mean, the whole world's been wondering about the COVID-19, the coronavirus, and what are its impacts? And the stock market goes up and down, and, and there are all kinds of quarantines. And I mean, we live in a world, do you feel that around you? Oh, that yes. People are wondering, what's going on? Exactly. Yes. There's and a lot going on right now in this world. And there aren't clear answers to the questions. What's going to happen next? Uh, what about this virus? What about the economy? What about the relationships between nations and travel and things I used to take for granted? I mean, in my hometown of Seattle, they've been through some weeks where you couldn't have a gathering of 250 people or more. That meant a lot of churches couldn't gather on Sundays. I mean, that's without precedent uh, yes. in American history. So this world that we're living in now actually has some direct ties to the world of that first Easter. Maybe that makes this year's Easter all the more important. And in the story of Easter, which is recorded for us in the New Testament, in four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are 66 books in the Bible, but four of them are called the Gospels. These are called the books of good news about Jesus. Each one of these four authors describes to us from a different point of view, a different lens, or maybe perch, what happened in that week called the Passion Week in those days. And today, let's look at Luke. Luke was a physician. He was a guy who was famous for doing his homework. He was not himself an eyewitness to the events, but he starts his history of uh, the world of Jesus by saying, I've interviewed all the principals. I've talked to the people who were actually there, kind of like a journalist, someone attuned to detail and someone who, who took the time to talk to people and get first witness, eyewitness accounts of what actually came down. And then he wrote this letter called the book of Luke or the gospel of Luke. And in there, he describes some very interesting details about what actually happened during that week on the day that Jesus died. I would say he was murdered. You've got it right in front of you. Jamie, let's look at that. Luke chapter 23, beginning with verse 39. What does it say? It says, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. By this time, it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. It's, it's a snapshot, a point in time that actually could be described as the pivot of history, I think. We know that Jesus was apprehended by authorities in his world, people who were in governing positions, 
and they did not like him. They didn't like the way in which he was stirring the pot. They didn't like the way in which he was daring the social and economic and political order. He always professed to not be interested in having political office, and he didn't try and vie for worldly power with the powers that be. But nevertheless, what he proclaimed, a, a new way of living, a kingdom of heaven here on earth, where he just didn't play by all the rules of the customs and traditions of the time, it just caused him a lot of enemies. And ultimately, those people plotted to take him out. Maybe they feared his power. Maybe they feared that he was a threat, an existential threat to their state of being. The scripture tells us that after he raised Lazarus from the dead, that people began to talk, how we get rid of him? Because everyone is following after him and not us. Whatever the backstory, we know this. He was arrested. He was put on a fake trial. There were no charges that could be proven against him. He hadn't done anything wrong. He had no fault, but he suffered a capital punishment just the same. And in the day in which he lived, that could be on a cross, a painful, excruciating way to die. Also a public spectacle, which would declare to every passerby, don't mess with this government because uh, you'll pay your dues. And so Jesus is put on a cross, but there are two other guys who have been convicted of crimes, actually convicted of crimes, who are also crucified. And that's where the story picked up, Jamie, that you just read. Jesus between two thieves, as we call them, criminals who are also being sentenced to death for their crimes. We're not sure what they did exactly, but there doesn't seem to be any dispute, even by the testimony of the one man, that they deserve to die. But Jesus did not deserve to die. And there he was being murdered. And then there's that detail. Among all the other details that we get about the crucifixion, it was about noon. It was a Friday. And uh, in Palestine, generally, it's a sunny day. I don't know it was that day, but it's midday anyway. Even if it's overcast, it's bright. And then suddenly there was a darkness that descended on the world. Just as Jesus has hung for hours, because when you die on a cross, it's not quick. It's not like a hanging. It's not like an execution. It's a long, slow process. It takes hours for your body to finally surrender and give up. And just as Jesus is coming to the end, after hours on the cross, this darkness descends, and the darkness covers the whole place, and the lights go out, essentially, and it's dark for the whole afternoon, for hours. So dark, it seems, from some secular accounts, that maybe even the stars could be seen in the heavens. It was that dark. And there's something to that, that darkness descending just then. Jamie, I know that you've uh, been a student of words. You love words and their I history. <laughs> and uh, there are some, some translations talk about an eclipse. Now, an eclipse can be a scientific phenomenon, an astronomical phenomenon where the sun and the earth are separated uh, in a way by the moon, let's say, and that changes the light and so on. We are familiar with that, the eclipse. But the word eclipse itself is more than just that experience by science. What does it mean? So the word eclipse literally means a defect or a failure, hence in astronomy, an interception or obscuration of the light of the sun, moon, or other luminous body. It also means darkness. It means to obscure, to darken by intercepting the rays of light, which render luminous, or to cloud or to darken. It also means disgrace or distinguish. I mean, all of those words, all of those phrases talk about 
being closed in. I mean, I just feel like the wall's closing in when you read those things, like the light is passing away, that there's this elimination of light. It's obscure. You know, when things are obscured, they're not clear. Darkness makes things less clear. And if you get to total darkness, there's nothing you can see. I mean, if you're really truly in a dark space that's absolutely dark, you cannot even see the hand at the end of your arm. And that's what's described in this narrative is that there was a, an eclipse. Some people have argued maybe it was actually an eclipse in the way that we think of it in modern science, that there was an eclipse of the sun in the middle of the day, and that can happen. There are some ancient records outside the Bible that describe an eclipse at about this time that was so phenomenal that it was recorded with, with wonder by the ancients. Whatever it was, it happened just at the moment that Jesus was breathing his last. There's so much power in that. Jesus is on the cross, and he is light even on the cross. There are some scriptures, aren't there, that talk about Jesus being light. There are. One of the scriptures that this reminded me of is Isaiah's prophecy in the ninth chapter, verse 2. It says, Those who walked in darkness have seen a radiant light shining upon them. They once lived in the shadows of death, but now a glorious light has dawned. And then that brought me to Psalms 119, 105 that says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. And in this verse, it just reminded me of another passage that says that Jesus was the word of God made flesh. And so he represented the light. And I just, there's so much to unpack in this this, uh, passage. Even As I thought about the sun representing, as you said, right at the moment when Jesus, you know, took his last breath, the sun left. And it, the Latin word for eclipse is actually to defect or to fail or to leave. And I thought, wow, that is just, (laughs) it's, it's amazing that God left. Yeah. And it's, there's so much in the word though, that you can, you can glean from, you can, do like a treasure hunt <laughs> through the scriptures with this this passage. but You know, the prophet said that the Messiah, Jesus, would be the son, S-U-N, of righteousness. That's right. And John, when he describes Jesus as the word of God become flesh, he also says, and in him was life, and the life of Jesus was the light of humankind. Jesus was light, and he said, I am the light of the world. And here he is on the cross, and he's even shedding light on the cross I thought about these two thieves, and one's on one side who's humble and repentant. He realizes he has made a mess up in his life, and he deserves to die. But he's looking at Jesus thinking, this man does not deserve to die. And then he humbles himself and looks at Jesus, remember me, Jesus. Please, just if you have anything going for you, remember me with kindness when you come into your kingdom. And of course, Jesus promises him famously, you know what, guy, today, this day, This is tough right now, but today before this day ends, you are going to be with me in paradise because Jesus understood the big picture and could see clearly. And there's light shining, radiant from Jesus. Even as he's dying, there's light reaching that one man. But on the other side, there's a guy, all he can do is be sarcastic. All he can do is scoff and mock Jesus. Even as he himself is dying, he still has a bitter spirit, Mm -hmm. and that's darkness. And there you have the light and darkness in the same moment of this tragedy, but then you have this amazing portrait of Jesus dying. His breath is becoming more labored because what happens when you are murdered on a cross is that the weight of your body, 
draws against your internal organs, and they press against them, and you you lose your liquidity, your viscosity. Uh, you don't have anything to drink, and pretty soon you become dehydrated and so on, and, and your body's weight is hanging on the cross, and gravity is forcing it down, and, and your lungs and your heart are being pressed by the weight of that as you're hanging. And as Jesus is hanging, his breath has to become more labored until at last he says, it's finished. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. I mean, it's a closing of a window. It's the drawing of a drape. It's, it's, it's just like everything now has come down to this one point, and he breathes his last. This elegant phrase to describe the passing of a soul from this world to the next, the closing of a chapter. All of us, all of us will experience that someday. Jesus experienced it on that cross, but then as he says that, not only does he physically himself leave his body, the world grows dark. That is a signal from heaven. That is a literal, physical gesture from the creator of the universe. What have you done, he says to his creation, as the darkness falls? We have often celebrated Easter in my local church with a thing called Tenebrae, where the story of the whole of human history is told. A room starts in darkness, and then someone lights a candle as the scriptures read, In the beginning was God, and God said, Let there be light. And a candle suddenly, and suddenly, when that candle is lighted, it's just one flame, but there's light in the room. And then, one by one, as the story of history is told with great men of faith, men and women of faith are named, like Abraham, like Sarah, like Isaac, like Jacob, like the prophets like Esther, on and on it goes until Jesus appears and a candle is then lighted and it's brighter than all the rest. And then the disciples are named so on. And, and what you get is the expanse of history. And you see that with every march of history from the dawn of time until the coming of Christ, there's more and more light introduced into the world by the word of God, by the prophets of God, by the revelation of God. But then people turn against Jesus and one by one the candles are extinguished. There were people who walked away from him. They didn't like what he said, a candle's taken. There are people who betrayed him. Judas betrayed him, and several candles go out. The disciples themselves walked away until he was alone at the cross. More and more candles are out until there's only one light left again, just like at the beginning. And then we hear the words, and he breathed his last, and that candle goes out, and you're left in a room of darkness. To contemplate this truth, that without Jesus there is no light. John tells us that the Darkness could not extinguish the light. In that moment, there was darkness, but the light could not be extinguished because Jesus is going to rise from the dead. Is the world you walk in dark? Does it feel dark to you? And darkness is when you don't know what's going to happen next and you're afraid of it. Fear can bring all kinds of shadows. Maybe you're anxious about what's going to happen next. And that makes the world feel dark because anxiety also makes things shadowy and obscure. It's an eclipse where there might be light out there, but suddenly your fear and anxiety is eclipsing that light. Maybe you feel guilty about something you've done, and that's making your path forward seem more difficult. You're not sure how to navigate it because you're stalked, you're, you're kind of inhibited, you're encumbered, you're burdened by a sense of guilt or shame. You know that it's not right what you've done. And 
now as you go forward, you're just not sure you can shake it. And so it, it's always a shadow creeping up on you. It's eclipsing the broad light of day, the beautiful spring sunshine you might otherwise know. We're here to tell you that Jesus is the remedy. The headlines can be dark. Your working place can be dark. Your school can be dark. Your relationships can be dark. Your heart can be dark. But Jesus is light. The closer you come to him, the lighter life will be. We're here to tell you during this week before Easter that darkness can close in on us today, even as it did way back when, but that Jesus is light and he's here for you. And he wants you to see with clarity how much he loves you and how much purpose and promise he has for you. Yes, you, right here in this world and in the world to come. How can you see it? How do you break through it? You can do it by praying with us right now. Just take a deep breath. Close your eyes to shut out this world's distractions and pray. Our Father in heaven, the maker of the universe, we pray, we talk, we ask of you right now that in this dark world, you will show us the light of Christ. In this week before we celebrate Easter, we especially are cognitive of the way in which the world seems to be spinning out of control, how there are so many questions for which we have very few answers, how things can be obscure and eclipsed. But we also know, Lord, that Jesus rose from the dead, that his light cannot be extinguished, and that he can show us reality, reality of ourselves, reality of our future, reality of this world, and the reality of the world to come. And Lord, the only way to see is to see him first. And so we pray that this Easter week we will see Jesus, that in some way, perhaps unpredictable, we will see him, we'll see his face, We'll see his heart, we'll see his compassion, we'll see his grace, we'll see his forgiveness, we'll see his call. We surrender our lives into his hand and ask, Lord, as we are humble before him, just like that thief on the cross, that he will show himself to us and save us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to know more about Easter, if you'd like to know more about Jesus, if you'd like to know more about how you can see more clearly by the light of Christ, give us a call. Just dial this number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. 24 hours a day and seven days a week, we're by the phone. And yes, we want to hear your voice. Jamie, some people may not want to dial the phone just yet. How else can they find us online? They can find us online at cbhviewpoint.org. That's CBH Christians Broadcasting Hope. That's who we are cbhviewpoint.org. Check us out on the website, send us an email, and we will reply, I promise. Or at the last, just send me a letter. Use the post. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana 46018, USA. But whether you give us a call, check us out online, or use the post, please let us hear from you this week. Jamie, happy Easter as you dye some eggs, bake some cookies, and get ready for the big day. Happy Easter as well. Thank you. And at my house, I'm saving up some Cadbury cream eggs. Not everybody likes them, but I save them up for the Easter Sunday, and then I'm going to be a crazy man eating them to celebrate. Enjoy. (laughs) We hope that all of you will be able to celebrate Easter this year too and find life and hope, light in Christ. Until then... For all of us at the Viewpoint Ministries team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, this is Jim Lyon, 